Let's pray. God, the creator of all things, the one who loves us, the one who goes before us, we come to this place this morning to acknowledge that you are worthy of our worship, that you are worthy of all focus and attention to be turned on you to receive all praise and honor because you hold all things in your hand. You keep it all together. You created it and you sustain it and you redeem every inch of it. And so we come to worship you. Lord, we pray that nothing would stand in the way from you uh, receiving our worship in spirit and in truth as Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, that you long for us to worship you in spirit and truth. May nothing hinder that. The things that we have done this week that we bring into this place, Lord, we are aware of our sin. Like King David, our sin is ever before us. We are all too aware of it. Or maybe there are places that we are not aware of it, ways in which we have offended you and others that you need to reveal to us. We confess these things to you now, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take not your spirit from us, but renew a right and willing spirit within us that we might obey you at every turn, that we might put our total faith and trust in you always, that our deepest desire would be to serve you the way that you are worthy to be served. We thank you, Lord that you forgive us, that you shower us with mercy, that your grace is new every single morning. For our eyes even open on that pillow, you are right there showering us with love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, that your grace has gone before us before we even knew who you were. From the moment we were born, that you have been with us, reaching out to us, drawing us in. We are so thankful that you love us that much. Lord, we want to be aware of that love at all times and that it might uh, form us as a people. God, we are also thankful that you care about the things that are deepest on our hearts and minds, the burdens that we carry in this morning, that you are aware of them, you long to take them from us, to shoulder that burden and to give us the yoke of Christ, which is easy and light compared to the burdens that we carry around that we don't need to carry around. That part of the reason Jesus came to this place was to tell us, you've got this. But yet we tend to walk around with things that you know are too heavy for us. And if we keep them, they're going to break us. And so we want to call out to you right now those burdens Names, situations, unknown futures, things that weigh us down this morning. We call them out to you and ask that you hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Yes. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Cindy Smith's mother. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 Lord, we lift these to you. These are the ones that we're able to voice. I'm sure that there are burdens in this room that we don't even know how to begin to pray for them. And I thank you that the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit prays for us when words are not manageable. That Jesus intercedes on our behalf. We thank you for that because that gives us strength. That knowing even when we don't know how to pray that you are aware and praying for us. And so, Lord, we lift these to you and others, the unspoken requests. Remove them from our midst today. May we be light and easy. May we have that peace that passes all understanding as we worship you this morning. May you be glorified in all things. In the name of the Father, and Holy Spirit, amen. Kiddos, come on up. Hi, legend. All right, are you going to behave? You're going to sit still? Okay, good. Okay. Now, Kaylee, you saw this this morning, so don't give away the secrets. Okay, what do I have? A pumpkin. A pumpkin. We're selling pumpkins out in the pumpkin patch, right, Jay? What do you typically do with a pumpkin? Carve it. Kill it. Well, you don't kill it, but you carve it. Yes, okay, so when you carve it, we cut around like this, and we make a lid. Take it off. Take the, the yeah. Okay. So when I take the lid off, what's going to be inside? Gooey nuts. Right. Gooey stuff. And seeds. Strings. What else? Seeds in there. Yeah. Just just like some stuff. So you clean all of that out. Do you use to clean that out? Yeah. Does it get that gets all over your hands, right? Well, and then after when you get it all out, you cut triangle. Okay, so that's the next step, right? After you, after you get it cleaned out, cut mm -hmm. some eyes, triangles. Triangle, Triangle eyes. You want. And sometimes I make smiley faces on the car, smiley faces uh -huh. on the pumpkin, or scary faces. I like circle mouth, like a circle mouth. I like bats. You like, like bats? Okay. I like this. Okay, then after you've cleaned it out and you cut all the holes in there that you want, then what do you do? Put a candle inside or Michael, some kind of a light, Michael. and then you put the lid back on, and then what do you do with it? Make it a jack-o'-lantern. It is a jack-o'-lantern. So you put it somewhere. Put it somewhere so people well, can see it, right? Because you want them to see the designs. Really? Well, they don't last very long after you cut them for sure, but we're not going to talk about that because I'm going to tell you that that story of a jack-o'-lantern is helpful for us because the Bible tells us that when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, 
he reaches in and takes out all the stringy stuff, all the stuff that's not useful inside, and then he places his light and love into us so that when the world sees us, they see the light of Jesus in us. Really? Yeah. So what we do is, the first thing we do is we ask Jesus to help clean us up a little bit. Because we're going to read a story about David today, and David did some not-so-good things. And he said, to, he said to God, I need your help. I need you to help me with this. I need a new heart. So clean me up from the inside. But then Jesus says, but I will be a light in you so that you can shine to the world. So do you guys have a pumpkin yet? Yes. I do. No. We're you do? Buy one today. You're going to get one today? We're going to get one today. You're going to get one today. You bought one last night. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have one? Okay, you're going to get one? Okay, are you going to carve it or are you going to paint it? Carve. Carve it. Okay, so when you guys carve your pumpkins, I want you to think about that, how Jesus does this for us, okay? And that, I don't want to do that again. Are you going to paint yours or carve it? Uh, I like painting. You're going to paint it? Okay, so the analogy doesn't work if you paint it, but that's okay. It, you, you could paint it and then carve it if you wanted to. But let's pray, Okay. Lord, we thank you for simple gifts like pumpkins that teach us how Jesus comes to help us look more like him and to let his light shine through us. And we ask that that would be the case, that Jesus would shine through us, that when people look at us, they would see his love and his mercy. And they would say, tell me a little bit more about this Jesus person. We ask that you would. Uh, finish up October as we head toward um, Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas that you would help us to always remember these things that Jesus is always with us and we ask that you bless us bless our families and friends bless our pets and please bless this awesome church in Jesus name amen amen okay you guys can go to class or you can go sit with your parents one or the other Fantastic. Those kids are smart. Okay, so, uh, you know, we're in the narrative lectionary. If you've been with us for some time, uh, we have been working our way through the story of Scripture, the story of God's people. If you're visiting with us, I'm sorry, you're coming in. Uh, we're already in 2 Samuel. So we've, we've made, a, we've kind of covered some ground here. You'll have to go back and read your Bibles to find out where we are, okay? But we are in 2 Samuel today. We're kind of Jumping around, we're going to be a little bit in chapter 11, a little bit in chapter 12. You'll see the text on the screen. But listen now for a word from the Lord. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house, 
The woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back for him, from him so that he may be struck down and die. As Joab kept watch over the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, as we uh, dig into this scripture today, this tough scripture, I pray that you would um, open our hearts and minds to receive the things that you want to show us today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, when you're preaching from a lectionary, uh, like the narrative lectionary, you don't get to choose your text. They're given to you. This is what you will be preaching on today. And so this is one of those texts that's really tough. You know, the, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it gives us the good and the bad and the ugly all side by side. The Bible is not interested in sugarcoating stuff. It's not interested in polishing stuff up so that it's easily digestible. It gives us everything. And this is one of those stories of a dark moment in the life of David and those around him. This is a story of a gross overreach of power. It's a story of abuse. It's a story of violations. It's a story of cover-ups. It's a story that is as old as humanity itself. 
one that perhaps many people in this room have experienced uh, in the hands of an abuser. And if that is the case, I just want to say I'm sorry up front. Uh, this story may trigger something in you or bring up feelings that maybe you haven't felt in a while. We're going to preach this text, uh, not because it is, uh, we're not going to glorify what David did, but hopefully we're going to learn something from David's mistakes that we can walk away with uh, as we strive to be more like Jesus ourselves. You know, it's interesting, David, uh, the anointed king over God's people, uh, God chose him, handpicked David. He was just a shepherd boy. Uh, and Samuel anointed him to take the place of Saul. Saul was the first guy who tried to rule God's people and did a terrible job. And so God said, uh, we're going to go with David for round two. And he started off really, really strong. You probably heard the stories of David and Goliath. You know, David was hungry for the Lord and wanted to go out and defeat Israel's enemies. And here this kid is throwing rocks at a giant. And, and knocks him down, and everybody's in awe. Uh, David fights a lion barehanded and, and kills the lion. David is just zealous for the Lord and starts off really, really strong. But by this point in David's reign, which is well established, we see that he has become lazy, and in my opinion, he has become drunk with his own power, something that God said would happen when the people first asked for a king and and, and God said, but I'm your king. And they said, yeah, but all the other nations have kings. And so we want a king like the other nations. And God says, but it's not going to go well if I give you a king. And they said, yeah, but we want a king. And he said, yeah, but if I give you a king, he's going to take your sons and daughters for his own purposes. He's going to tax you. He's going to enslave you. He's going to make you do things that you didn't want to do. And they said, yeah, but we want a king. And so God said, fine, you can have a king. And all this that God said is beginning to unfold in the person of David. The text that we read today begins this way. In the spring, when all the kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. See, we've already got a problem here. David is not where he is supposed to be. David, who was eager to run out to the battlefield and slay Goliath the giant, is now at home in his bathrobe, sleeping in late, rising up from his couch, taking a stroll on the roof of his palace. I am King David. And he does this while the sons of Israel are on the battlefield, giving their lives for the nation. And it's in this place that David is not supposed to be that he glances down and sees Bathsheba, a beautiful woman who is bathing, but we're told she's not just taking a bath seductively. No, she is faithfully following the law of Moses, which requires women to uh, ritually cleanse themselves in water seven days after their menstrual cycle. She is exactly where she is supposed to be, doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. And David sees something that he wants, and he takes it because he can. He forces her into his palace. He forces her into his bed. And he gets her pregnant. And then when he realizes he's in a jam here, to cover up his mistake, he has her husband Uriah killed on the front lines of the battle and then forces Bathsheba to marry 
him the abuser. I don't have to tell you, this is a dark story. I mean, this is sin upon sin. This is darkness upon darkness. This is evil upon evil. This is about as low as it gets. And so it's really hard for me to stomach the idea that the Bible says David is a man after God's own heart. This David? This David that was able to do this is a man after God's own heart? How can we say that about David? Well, I think perhaps one of the reasons is not David's actions here, but David's response when he was called out to it. You see, Saul, King Saul, who came before him, also made some mistakes. Not mistakes like this, but he made some mistakes. And when he was called out, he denied it. He said, no, I didn't do that. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. But David confessed immediately. When Nathan called him out on his sin, he didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to deny it. He said, I have sinned. I did this thing. Please forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. David was so moved by the guilt and the weight of his own sin that he penned Psalm 51. One of the most beautiful psalms of confession in all the Bible. And in this psalm, I think it's wonderful because David actually hits upon some deep theological truths that I haven't seen up until this point in the story of God's people. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. In other words, this mistake I made is not my only problem. I've got something in me that needs to come out, like the goo in, in this pumpkin. Like, God, I need you to change my heart, renew my heart, put a new and right spirit so that I will obey you always because I seem to mess up. He also says, God, I realize you have no delight in sacrifice, that if I were to give you a burnt offering, offering you would not be pleased because the sacrifice acceptable to you is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, David is way ahead of his time here. He's realizing that the sacrificial system that has been set up is not really what God wants. It's not as easy as going out and, and, and killing a goat and spreading the blood on the altar and all is done. What God really wants is honesty about one's mistakes. God really wants humility. God wants a repentant heart. God wants us to confess our sins. David says that's the sacrifice that you really want, oh God. Way, way ahead of its time there. But the rest of the psalm, the rest of the psalm really centers around David and his relationship to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I appreciate David's words here. 
I appreciate his ability to come clean before God and to admit his mistakes. But I got to say, David, it wasn't against God and God alone that you have sinned. God is not the only one caught up in the mess that you have created. You see, shortly after this all unfolded, Bathsheba's infant son died, I think probably exacerbated by the traumatic and stressful way in which that child was conceived and formed in the womb. That baby was made under a terrible situation, had to have affected the health of that child. David's son Amnon, not too long after this, raped his half-sister Tamar. Where do you think Amnon learned that behavior? From his father David. He saw what David did with Bathsheba and said, well, if dad can do it, I can do it too. His son Absalom was so mad at Amnon that he killed him in a fit of rage. Where did he learn that behavior? Well, I saw dad kill Uriah. If dad can do it, I can do it. You see, this is a dysfunctional family here that is built upon lies and violence and abuse of power that was never, ever healed, which is why Nathan says the sword will always be over your house, David. You have created a mess. Folks, I'm grateful that David wrote Psalm 51. I'm glad that he went before the Lord and confessed his sin to God. I'm glad that he knew he was forgiven by confessing that sin. But I got to tell you, forgiveness from God is not enough. It is not enough. Because we are not just in a vertical relationship with God. We are in a horizontal relationship with each other. And the choices that we make affect people around us. And God is deeply concerned about how people are affected in the wake of our own mistakes and sin. So yeah, securing forgiveness from God, necessary, needed. It's the first step. You've got to be able to admit your sin to God. But forgiveness without repairing the collateral damage or at least attempting to reconcile broken and fractured relationships, that kind of forgiveness is just too cheap and hollow. It's just focused on self. You see, David has a mess to clean up with Bathsheba. David has a mess to clean up with his children who have been watching their father behave badly. David has a mess to clean up with Uriah's family. David has a mess to clean up with the nation, the people he is supposed to govern and rule over in the name of God. David has a lot of messes to clean up. And as he pours out his broken and contrite heart in Psalm 51, he gets to the end of the psalm and he stops. He calls it a day. And he says, well, I'm glad that's over. Now I can move on. 
You see the problem here? You see, so many of us follow this same path. We confess our sin privately to Jesus. We believe in all sincerity and faith that God forgives us when we do that, and we receive that forgiveness. We did it this morning. We confessed our sin. But then we stop there. Why? Because, well, it's hard to admit the things you've done to the people around you. It means giving up some of your own power. It means giving up some of your own dignity. It means walking into a place in which you feel ashamed for what you did. And you might be embarrassed when other people find out. But I got to tell you, securing forgiveness is not enough. We have to go beyond that. David should have gone beyond that. So there were a couple of musicians, some of my favorite Christian musicians, Derek Webb and Sandra McCracken. They were married for 13 years, and they produced music together, and they went on tour together, and they were just one of those couples, you know, just made great Christian music, great stuff. A couple years ago, they announced that they were getting a divorce because, well, Derek had had an affair. And when the news first came out, I was shocked. I was mad. I was mad at Derek because I thought Sandra is so sweet. Like, how could you do that to your family? I was sad for their family. I was sad for the world that would never have a, a Derek and Sandra concert ever again. There would be no more records of Derek and Sandra. I was sad about that. And Derek had released a solo record uh, just a couple months before that which I thought was fine record. It was good. But I went back and looked at the title track after that announcement was made. And it started to click. He said, I have misled you. I have misread you. I've cared too much and not enough in the same breath. You've been my hope, my stretch of rope in life and death. I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I love you. And I realized as I went back and looked at those words that preemptively Derek was confessing to the world. David was, uh, Derek was laying it out for us all in this song, knowing that this announcement was going to be made a couple months later. That he was confessing openly to his wife. He was confessing openly to his children. He was confessing to his fans, saying, y'all, I messed up, and you need to know this. I need to make this right as best I can in the relationships around me. Now, he could have like kept the details of this whole affair quiet. They could have just said, we're getting a divorce, and it doesn't really matter why. And Derek could have tried to preserve his career to the best of his ability. But he chose to be vulnerable with the world. And I felt some of that anger that I had begin to loosen a little bit. Because he didn't have to do that. Did he make a mistake? Yeah. I'm sure he secured forgiveness with God. But he went the extra step and tried to make it right with us. And I appreciated that. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking... <laughs> 
uh, of some of the some of the horizontal fractured relationships that you need to mend, and you're going, that sounds real scary. I'm right with you. I'm right with you because it is true, and it's easy to go into our closets and kneel down and say, "Oh Lord, you know what I have done. My sin is ever before you. Please forgive me." And God says, "You are forgiven." as far as the east is from the west. And then to go, well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> and then God goes, wait a minute. There's some other things I need you to do. That sounds real scary, God. But I wonder if we as a people, as God's people, were humble and vulnerable and open with the people we have wronged. Perhaps, perhaps the world might be a little less messy. Perhaps the dysfunction that we see in the world that just is generational, that just goes and goes and goes because, well, the sins of the Father is just kind of passed on and nobody ever deals with it. Nobody ever breaks the cycle. That perhaps if we modeled breaking the cycle by going beyond securing forgiveness with God to securing forgiveness with those around us, perhaps the world would look a little bit different. You see, Jesus does forgive. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven. But then Jesus also promises to walk us through the next step, which is difficult and holy work. So my prayer for us is that we may be those people who go the extra step and clean up our messes. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope this has been helpful. I know it's a dark text. I know it's kind of like one of those mm, days, but uh, let it marinate and use it so that we can become better people, okay? Will you grab the hand of the person next to you and receive this blessing? My brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, completely forgiven, and uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do that, you're going to make some mistakes because we all do. But I need you to know when you make those mistakes, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. Because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in his nature and his amazing grace. And it is by grace that he looks at us and says, Beloved, I love you right where you are. But I love you too much to leave you there. And so our prayer this morning is that he moves us forward, gives us new hearts and renews a right spirit within us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.